everybody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And no, Leonora is not going to be joining us today. She's busy doing so many other things. But uh, we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about some latest developments with the Hunter Biden cocaine. Well, Hunter Biden. <laughs> we don't know that he did it, right? Hunter Biden and uh, the Biden crime family and uh, the cocaine thing. Right away, my mind just goes right to Hunter Biden on that one, but I don't know. Um, and then we're going to talk about, my, hey, Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked out of the Freedom Caucus. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, and uh, we're also going to focus on climate because climate and globalism are all part of the same thing, just like COVID was, just like the pandemic was, that pandemic Right. They use pandemics. They use climate. They use all these things to get trillions of dollars. I mean, I read this meme yesterday and I thought, bingo, that's exactly what it's all about. Um, The meme uh, read like this. There was a title on an article. It says two hundred trillion dollars is needed to stop global warming. That's a bargain is what the headline wrote. I don't know if it was Washington Post or who, but $200 trillion, here's the headline. $200 trillion is needed to stop global warming. That's a bargain. Two sentences. And then the subtitle that says, failing to invest in fossil fuel alternatives will result in a far higher price tag, increasingly unlivable planet. Oh, like as if this planet is livable right now with the the globalist tyrannical uh, the tyrants in globalism that want to lock you down that want to put you in 15 minute cities that want to put a strap of mask across your face jab you with a, uh, some poison uh, that causes myocarditis and heart uh, diseases I mean 
story after story, proof after proof, the conspirators were right. They were right. And so the guy who wrote this, what's what streets of Wall Street Silver? He's, he writes this. He says he reads the headline: two hundred trillion dollars is needed to stop global warming. That's a bargain. And the translation is: we're going to. <laughs> the translation to that is: we're going to tax the f out of you, and blame it on the climate. That's what we're going to do. We're going to regulate and tax the f out of you. And we're going to blame climate. We're going to regulate and tax the F out of you. And we're going to blame COVID. Right? We're going to do all these things to you in the name of public safety. Public safety. You can't argue with public safety. Yes, we know about, you know, yelling fire in a theater. That's not protected under free speech. You can't say and do the things you know you should say and do on social media because it's a threat to public safety. Disinformation. And that paved the way to a whole new landscape of things. And before we get too deep into a lot of serious things, because we got this uh, really great, uh, really great um speech announcement statement by uh, Gal Luft, a Biden corruption whistleblower uh, hiding out in Israel, made a statement and uh, it was posted in the New York Post and um, Melinda Devine uh, is the one that came out with them, broke the story. Uh, it's not her name's not Melinda, but it's Divine uh, is her last name, and um, this was a big. This is a big announcement. It's a thirteen-minute clip, and we're going to play the whole thing uh, because it's so profound. It's so like wow. But before we get into some deeper stuff, we're going to get to some of the little stories, the smaller stories uh, that are worth mentioning. You take Big Bird de Blasio, for example, and uh, you got his wife, um, First Lady uh, Chris Sherlane uh, McRae. She's a black lesbian married to Bill de Blasio, and somehow they were the first family of New York City. And they were mayor for quite, he was a mayor for quite too long. And now you got a worse guy, this, this Adams guy. Eric Adams, what a piece of work this guy is. Just a doofus. I mean, this guy is out to lunch. Won't answer Won't answer questions. He, he thinks he's a thug. And it turns out that Eric Adams ran as a cop, even though he was a radical Marxist liberal, black guy. And... He basically won the election because he was pro-cop and everybody wanted a pro-cop mayor. Well, he's not pro-cop. He's not pro-crime. He's for open borders. He's for sanctuary cities. He's for everything that's wrong with liberal leadership today. But he's taking all these illegal migrants and he's shipping them up into different places in New York City, New York State. 
and not even asking twice, just doing it so that he could save his budget, pocket the cash that he gets from the federal government. Um, but in be- beyond that, he had a picture of a police officer in his wallet that he ran on. And he said, I keep a picture of this fallen hero, this fallen New York police department police officer in my wallet. That's how much I care about the police. And it turns out that the picture that he held in his wallet was fake. It was a found on Google as like some high school student or something. It was found on Twitter, or found on Google, like on the internet, as just some random photograph that he used to exploit the death of a fallen New York Police Department. This is what the liberals do. Jesse Smollett, two MAGA guys wearing red hats, hang a noose around my neck. They just make stuff up. J6, infiltrated by the FBI white supremacists and broke into the Capitol and put it all on film with Nancy Pelosi's director slash camera photography videographer daughter. I mean, it's unreal what our country is doing to our citizens in terms of dividing us. And it's... Obviously, it works because they wouldn't be doing it if it didn't. And the news media gets Jussie Smollett out there on TV, tearing it up, lying through his teeth, only to be found out and busted. I mean, it's amazing how many times these people are caught red-handed. You ever hear, like, um, you know, the boy who cried wolf? After, like, three times in that fable... It was like, enough already. We're not going to believe you. Now you're really in trouble, and you're calling for help, and no one's going to come and help you. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so there we are, you know, in this life where race means nothing anymore. You're a racist. You're a white supremacist. So what? Everybody's a white supremacist and a racist that doesn't uh, agree with you. It used to be a thing. I mean, it used to mean, mean something. And it no longer does. You know, I could play a clip from Riley Gaines talking about this tranny uh, dude that's breastfeeding a baby. And she's like, you know, I've had it with this stuff. And she's on video saying all this. She says, I've had it with this stuff. It's not enough that I lost, that, that, that trannies are ruining women's sports. But... Now, you know, you have this open pedophilia going on. It's it's to normalize pedophilia. And maybe this is like a precursor to like they know that they're going to get busted on a bigger crime like through Jeffrey Epstein. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, people have been doing that. You know, they're going to water, water it down and make it so it's not so shocking. I don't know what the, what the mo- motive is there. Except it is to demoralize and to to attack Judaic Christian values and to just completely create chaos and demoralization in our society, to to where we have, you know, nothing but a trash heap to defend. And why bother defending it? 
You got trannies in the uh, military now, you know, waving rainbow flags instead of the American flag. Since when was that cool? I mean, I remember an officer and a gentleman. You know, I mean, a bridge too far, midway. I mean, what happened to Char- the Charlton Heston of our day? You know, I mean, what, what happened to the John Waynes of the world? They are just completely, uh, you know, they wouldn't make it in today's world. It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural war. It's a cultural attack. It's, it's part of a psyop. It's, it is all of those things and much, much more. Another news story is that uh, this is breaking today, going to be breaking today in the New York Times. This is not even out yet. But Biden is contemplating and more than likely going to approve banned weapon use in Ukraine that's going to escalate the tensions between Russia and NATO and uh really push push forward for uh push forward to closer toward a uh world war 3 russia has hypersonic missiles uh they have hypersonic weapons they have uh nuclear weapons you know it's not going to end well this whole thing but the nato alliance and the united states and joe biden are making too much money personally that they don't want to give it up. They love war. They love it. They don't care about who dies. Just like the open borders causes a lot of death, this multiculturalism that uh, has Africans killing French people in the streets with machetes and, you know, all the different gun violence that's coming through our our southern border and, and all the different things, the lawlessness You know, Africa is doing nothing but opening the gates of their prisons and sending all of their crap upwards. You know, I read this uh, report um, about the world population. And it says this. The question was, are there more whites than blacks people in the world? Nope. White Europeans are a tiny minority. Africa as a whole has a whole giant continent of blacks, and although there are ethnic minorities within the huge group, on the whole, Asians and Africans dwarf white populations. So it got me thinking about globalism, and one of the reasons why you know they did they were able to colonialize with European money because they didn't have a currency uh, worth anything in Africa when colonialization was happening. It was an opportunity to, you know, basically uh, harness slave labor uh, in Africa for precious minerals and mining and things like that. And then and then there was the slave trade, where the slave owners were black people themselves. And, and then next thing you know, they were selling uh, slaves because they had such a large population to go across the Atlantic and and uh you know spread the wealth and now we have this globalism that's evolved in in such a way that we can actually go ahead and have manufacturing in say african state countries or in asian countries or you know wherever else um but the whole thing 
is you can't have these competing forces of manufacturing in the United States because then you have this incentive for made in America, um, which, 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 uh, you know, like back in the seventies when they said buy American steel and, um, that was to sort of say, pay a little more for the manufacturing worker, but corporations weren't profiting from that. So they wanted cheap labor. You know, obviously, you know, we talk about it, Paris Agreement. We talk about it, you know, where and BRICS is the slaves and, and G7 are the innovators and G7 is going to consume from the manufacturing of the slaves, uh, the BRICS nations, which is going to be China and India and and South Africa and all these nations like that. And so, you know, they got this all figured out. This is called the New World Order. And, you know, it, they're going to get rich off of it. But one of the things they ca- they have to do is they have to unlevel the playing field. They they have to make it so so the average person can't get access to fossil fuels. They can't just drive their car or truck down the road. They can't compete. They got to go and buy all this expensive equipment that's retooled and refitted to work with electric. And there are some entities that are pushing back, but they don't have the funding of BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and the multinational corporations or the media to really push their innovations forward, like e-fuels and hydrogen vehicles and, and other competing forces. Um, and then you get to the point where you talk about carbon CO2. And I have a study that we're going to uh, play today as well, where it talks about CO2 being 800 years following, follows climate, 800 years. This whole myth of CO2 and all emissions increasing the temperature is a problem because it's false. And they're perpetuating and pushing this as a crisis. And it's completely manufactured and they're making it up. And so therefore, what I'm saying to you is that it's not CO2 that causes global warming. It's not emissions that causes global warming. It is global warming. It's cyclical warming and cooling that controls the level of CO2 in the atmosphere. It's the other way around. It's the exact opposite. It's not CO2 causing global warming. The more CO2, the more warming. There is a connection between CO2 and global temperatures. Yes. But it's the other way around. When the global temperatures rise, CO2 rises. When the global temperatures go lower, the CO2 lowers. And CO2 lags behind temperature. CO2 lags behind temperature by 800 years in terms of the global, um, you know, the patterns. And we're going to hear that today. We're going to hear scientists corroborate what I just told you. So, you know, before we run out of time, we can't run these clips. You know, I, I can talk all day, as you know. But we are going to go ahead and listen to some authorities and get to some some meat and potatoes of all this stuff. Everything I just said, though, is really important. All of those things that I was just talking about, because it sets up this 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 next part of the show, 
I think, because it's all interconnected. It's all related. It's all smoke and mirrors. So I'm reading this. I just uh, This is a, a reporter from Africa that never gets called upon, and he has a contentious relationship with Jean-Pierre. He says, breaking, they just leaked a story. This is He did this last night. To the New York Times and President Joe Biden, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will be appearing the White House briefing today to defend it. New York Times, so Jake Sullivan's going to defend this today in the White House. New York Times reporting that Biden is considering providing banned munitions to Ukraine. He will supply Ukraine with cluster munitions disregarding international consensus not to use them because they cause severe injuries to civilians and U.S. allies ban them. The decision carries implications for humanitarian concerns and global unity. To me, that's a big story. Now let's get to the cocaine story real quick. All right, let's take a listen to Rick Grinnell. I'm a big fan of Rick Grinnell. He was the uh, acting ODNI. Uh, he says the cocaine has to be better has to be either from a Biden family member or a cabinet secretary. He's someone that knows all the inner workings of the White House. Let's take a listen. Play on social media as well as, you know, we're talking about cocaine at the West Wing. We know the president's son is a recovering addict. What's playing out here? What do you think is really behind this? Well, true to form in Washington, D.C., is the death of common sense. When you find cocaine at the White House and the uh, son of the president is got probably 100 pictures of cocaine and meth use, uh, you would think that uh, if you were using common sense that you would go ask him and say, is this yours? It was in a, a private place. It's very difficult to bring uh, cocaine or drugs or any type of illegal substances into the White House because you're searched. I would go so far, Bianca, as to say that uh, the cocaine has to be either from a Biden family member or a cabinet secretary. Those are the only people that are not searched uh, completely. And so the cabinet officials should all be asked, was the cocaine yours? When did you last visit? And the family members should be asked because this problem can easily be solved. There are cameras everywhere. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the death of common sense to somehow say that we can't figure out who brought cocaine into the White House. Yeah. And the heavily trafficked talking point. Yeah. I mean, it's cameras everywhere, right? So this whole thing about they don't know, it's just complete and total utter nonsense. Let's take a listen to this question that was asked by a reporter and Kirby, one of the press secretaries, uh, walked off without even so much as we're not going to answer it. He didn't even say a word. Uh, There have been many developments in the House investigations into the First Family's international business dealings recently. Uh, There's one committee trying to get an FBI file alleging that President Biden took bribes. There's another IRS whistleblower who's alleging there's a cover-up in the investigation. Amid all of this, there was a Harvard-Harris poll this month that found that 53% of the public, including a fourth of Democrats, believe, quote, Joe Biden was involved with his son in an an illegal influence-peddling scheme. 
Uh, there's, of course, evidence that the president interacted with his relatives, associates from China, uh, Mexico, Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine. Uh, so what do you say to the majority Romania. of Americans who believe that the president is himself corrupt? All right. Let's go. Uh, let's go. So I guess there was a deal there that said, if you ask any questions like that, we are not, we're just going to walk right off the dais. And they did. So here's something, Andrea Mitchell, again, we talked about her uh, earlier in the week, and uh, she is, you know, 30, no, she's 50 years in the business, married to Alan Greenspan, as I said before, when we played another clip from her. Here she's talking to somebody else. And this is kind of interesting because here she says this was found in a much more secure place, limited access place than that uh, West Wing reception area. It's down near the Situation Room, right off West Executive down below. Normal people, average people just can't get in there, even with the entry from the north. This to me is important information. So let's just take a listen from the horse's mouth. Kelly, the big change is where this was found. It was found, um, by my observation, in a much more secure place, limited access place, than that West Wing reception area. It's still a publicly trafficked, a frequently trafficked place, but it's down near the Situation Room, right off West Executive, down below. And normal people, just average people, just can't get in there, even with the entry from the Northwest Gate. Well, let me let me bring you up to date with the reporting that I have. What we have learned is that there are, in fact, two West Wing entrances. You know that. I know that. But for the benefit of our audience. And now the investigation has progressed. And so they're saying the West executive entrance, which, as you noted, is closer to the Situation Room and closer uh, to uh, the Navy mess where there's the facilities for food and so forth. It is uh, also next to West Executive Drive. That's where, for example, the vice president's vehicle is. But would you put them past doctoring a video? I mean, I could doctor a video. I mean, I'm pretty good with graphics and stuff. I'm not an expert, but experts could definitely make it so it's believable. And uh, they could put anything they want out. All right. So we talked about the uh, um, uh, de Blasio separation, right? And uh, before we get to the whistleblower testimony statement, uh, we talked about this de Blasio separation where they're still living together. Yeah, I got off on the Eric Adams thing. I want to finish up and wrap up on the de Blasio thing. So de Blasio and his wife, Christine McRae, are separating. She's a lesbian, uh, black lesbian. He's uh, the former mayor. Big Bird de Blasio, we call him. But people forget so they're making it out like this is just an eccentric setup, you know, where they're going to stay married, they're going to live in the same house, um, but they're separated. And they're going to go ahead and see other people. So she's going to see the women that she wants to see, and he's going to see the women he wants to see, if that's the, his persuasion. But here's the thing. I believe that the reason why they're just doing this like this, and everybody's sort of making hay out of how weird it is. It is weird. These are not normal people, right? And they don't do normal things, but there's often a motivating factor for this, and people aren't talking about it. You're going to hear it here probably 
Nobody else is going to say this, okay? So this is why you're listening to the Scott Adams Show, because you're going to hear things here that you're never going to hear anywhere else. And that is that this uh, Shirlane McRae, the wife of de Blasio, was the leader of this New York City organization to help homeless, mentally ill uh, patient people in uh, mentally ill and homeless and both uh, people in Manhattan. And frankly, it's gotten way worse since she started this project. And the project entitled was called, it was a nonprofit called Thrive NYC. And they got government contracts to the tune of over a billion dollars in taxpayer funding. For a city, that's a lot of money, right? So I believe, it's my theory, that they are not going to divorce court because that w- would involve discovery. That would, that would involve assets. And they want to get on with their life, and that's going to take years. And they want to go ahead and not fake it anymore. They want to go off and live their best life while they still can. They're not young. And they want to spend their money and go about their business. But if they go to court and all this discovery comes in, the IRS is going to question where all these assets came from. Because they came probably from the government, the state, the city government, into their pockets. And so how are they going to explain all these assets and money? How are they going to do that without getting busted? So what they're going to do is they're going to wait for the statute of limitations to run its course, and then they'll file for a divorce. Wouldn't that make sense? If you are corrupt as hell and you are robbing the city of a billion dollars, giving it to Thrive NYC who never even ran like an audit, and they just took the money and spent it however they want, and if you get divorced, you're going to have to explain your assets, right? So you don't get a divorce. You just sort of keep separated. Now, you could get your own place. The whole idea about them living in the same space is kind of weird. Maybe they're into some really weird stuff. But I believe that's the reason why they're separated and not going through divorce because it's too. It's still within the statute of limitations. They got it like another five years to go or something like that before they are free and clear to either explain away their assets or they need more time to launder their assets. They can go down to Columbia and launder it. There's a lot of ways. You can book deals. You can launder it. Sell art and you can launder it. Buy diamonds and you can launder it. Okay? There's a lot of ways to launder the money. And that's what they're in the process of doing. They just need more time. But they didn't want to wait. I believe that was what was in play there. 
One last story. Klaus Schwab just met with one of the most evil men in the Chinese Communist Party. Don't be fooled by this. his smile. These two sycophants want to turn the entire world into a communist one-party state like China. We must expose them before it's too late. Now, I told you that China is part of this globalist movement because it's the G7 that's going to buy from the BRICS, and they're part of this new world order structure. And they're the developing nation that gets to blow smoke and chimneys and sta- smokestacks and CO2 emissions till, till the earth is black. It doesn't matter. They, they don't have to worry about a thing. That's why this Paris Agreement is such a scam. The Paris Agreement and the climate hoax and the ESG that goes along with it and throw in the DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, environmental, social governance. All these things are all part of regulatory crackdowns on people. And if you don't believe me, we're going to listen to King Charles here in just a second. Talk about how martial law and military force is going to possibly be needed to get people to comply. But trust me when I tell you, China is part of of the globalist agenda, which is why Klaus Schwab is meeting with China. But before we get on, let's take a listen to this Gal Luft. His testimony is unbelievable. This is going to blow your mind right here. Good day. My name is Dr. Gal Luft. For the past 20 years, I have been the co-director of the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, a Washington-based think tank focused on energy security. For the past 15 years, I've been a resident of Israel, and for four years, I was senior advisor to the China energy company CFC, at the same time of its dealings with the Biden family. Under normal circumstances, I would be testifying before Congress about my experience with CFC. Sadly, due to circumstances I shall describe here in this video, Uh, I am forced to tell you this story via video. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CFC. As I said, it was in March of 2019 in a two-day session at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six uh, people, two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, by the names of Daniel Reichenthal and Catherine Ghosh, and four FBI agents. One of them was Special Agent 
Joshua Wilson from the Baltimore field office, which also happens to cover the state of Delaware. Now you want to ask yourself, why did the government dispatch to Europe so many people? Why six? Why not two? The answer is that they knew very well that I'm a credible uh, witness and that I have insider knowledge about the group and the individuals that enriched the Biden family. Over an intensive two-day two meeting, um, I shared my information about the Biden family's financial transactions with CFC, including specific dollar figures. I also provided the name of Rob Walker, who later became known as Hunter Biden's bagman. Uh, yet, as we now know today from the whistleblower testimony, uh, Gary Shapley, it took the DOJ a whole 21 months to probe the issue and to actually talk to Walker. But perhaps the most alarming information I revealed was of a mole within the DOJ who shared classified information with Hunter Biden and his Chinese partners. I told the DOJ that Hunter was closely associated with a very senior retire, retired FBI official who had distinct physical characteristic. He had one eye. One of the FBI agents at the time even told me, you know, that would be very easy for us to find. There aren't that many one-eyed people in the Bureau. The information I provided the FBI in March of 2019 was fully corroborated nine months later when the famous laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, which contained all the emails and receipts, was handed to the FBI. And guess who seized the laptop from the computer repair shop? It was Special Agent Joshua Wilson, who was with me in Brussels earlier. In other words, the FBI knew about, uh, from me, about the Biden CFC deals, before they got hold of the laptop, way before. They had enough time to investigate the issue, but they didn't. After Brussels, I never heard back from the DOJ, but instead of showing appreciation for my whistleblowing, I became public enemy number one. Over the past four years that followed, me, my family, my friends, my associates, we were all harassed, intimidated, and finally, I was prosecuted. Despite all that, on the eve of the 2020 elections, I sent my lawyer to Washington to meet with then acting Deputy Attorney General, Mr. Richard Donahue, to ensure he was informed about the information I had given his department in Brussels 19 months earlier. And also to warn him that there may still be a mole within the DOJ. Mr. Donahue confirmed to my lawyer that he was aware of my claims, but now we learn from the IRS whistleblower that it was Rich Donahue himself who suspended the investigation a few weeks earlier on September 4th, 2020, on the grounds that it was, quote, too close to the elections. Finally, in February this year, I was arrested in Cyprus 
on an extradition request from the Southern District of New York, the very same office that met with me uh, in Brussels. The seven-count indictment said I violated the export, uh, Arms Export Control Act, and if I convicted, I would face up to 100 years in prison. While I was detained in Cyprus, I was portrayed in the international media as an arms dealer, even though I never traded a bullet in my entire life. In fact, nowhere in my indictment, the DOJ claimed or presented evidence that I bought, sold, shipped, or financed any weapons. I was also charged with acting as an unregistered agent of CFC, which is a FARA violation. The DOJ says that I caused the payment of $6,000 a month to former CIA director James Woolsey um, in order to put his name on an article I had ghostwritten for the China Daily newspaper. Nowhere in the indictment, the DOJ mentioned the well-known fact that Mr. Woolsey had been uh, an advisor to my think tank since 2002 and that there was nothing in the article that represented Chinese interest, to the contrary. The notion that I, Gal Luft, spoon-fed a CIA director with policy proposals on China, treating him like a useful idiot, is not only an insult to the intelligence community, it is an insult to the intelligence of every American, the U.S. government claims that I acted on behalf of CFC, and therefore I'm a foreign agent. But let me tell you a little secret. The same CFC that the U.S. government claims was associated with the Chinese intelligence and, quote, an international criminal organization, was a 501c3 charitable organization registered in the state of Virginia and approved by the IRS. The same organization was also a major donor to the Clinton Foundation and Columbia University. Needless to say that none of their executives were charged for any wrongdoing. If CFC was indeed a foreign entity tied so closely to the PRC, why was it allowed to operate freely as a public charity? Why did the government expose taxpayers to the risk of funding an entity it knew at the time was so compromised? Why did they, did they not warn anybody? Isn't the role of government to protect its people? I'm also being charged for making a false statement in Brussels. But why was I in Brussels to begin with? Was I there to eat Belgian waffles? The DOJ charged me for making a statement in a voluntary meeting that would have never come to bear if not for my good citizenship. So let me propose an idea. Why won't the DOJ make my indictment public? Do it. Make my day. Put it on your website so that every American can see the nature of the allegations against me, the quality of the evidence, and the length the government is willing to go to weaponize the justice system to punish whistleblowers like me. I have another idea. Why won't the FBI submit to Congress the minutes from the Brussels meeting. Let everybody see what happened in Brussels. Why not? Are you trying to protect anything? Are you trying to protect anybody?
I also hope that the DOJ can explain why they targeted me in Cyprus and not in my home country of Israel, where I reside most of the time. After all, the U.S. shares a bilateral extradition treaty with Israel. So if any of my crimes are real and serious, and this is not just political prosecution, why did the U.S. need to sneak up on me during a short visit to Cyprus? Do they not trust the Israeli judicial system to judge this issue on its merits? What's going on here? Also, why did the DOJ wait six whole years, well beyond the statute of limitation, to indict me? And why did the DOJ choose to unseal to the, the indictment on November 1st, 2022? the very same week of the midterm elections. Could this have anything to do with the fact or the fear that once Republicans gain control over Congress and begin to investigate, their cover-up would be in full display? And perhaps the biggest question of all, why am I being indicted for FARA for a ghostwriting an innocuous article for which I received no payment, let alone from a foreign government, when the mother of all FARA cases, the Biden's systemic influence peddling on behalf of foreign governments for which they raked millions, goes unpunished. This is in a nutshell why I decided to act the way I did. Because I do not have faith uh, that I would receive a fair trial in a New York court. Let me tell you why. CFC Secretary General Dr. Patrick Ho, who paid Hunter Biden a million dollars for God knows what, was not allowed to mention the word Biden before the jury when he was tried in New York in 2018. The very same prosecutor who is now after me, Daniel Reichenthal, told the judge at the time that mentioning the name Biden would quote, add a political dimension to the case. And the judge agreed. Which means that if I'm ever brought before a U.S. court, I would not be allowed to utter the word Brussels or Biden. And the real context of my arrest, me being patient zero of the Biden family investigation, would be hidden from the jury. Let it sink in. I, who volunteered to inform the U.S. government about potential security breach and about compromising information about a man vying to be the next president, am now being hunted by the very same people whom I informed and may have to live on the run for the rest of my life. I warned the government about potential risk to the integrity of the 2020 elections if convicted by a U.S. court, would never be able to vote again in a U.S. election. Just think about it and ask yourself, who is the real criminal in this story? Thank you for listening. Well, it's the FBI, the DOJ, the State Department, and the Biden crime family. That's who the real villains are in this Situation. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene defiant after reports of Freedom Caucus ouster 
And basically, she was kicked out of the Freedom Caucus for some behavior, behavioral things. She called Lauren Bobert a little bitch on the House floor. And uh, so <laughs> it's, it's not good for Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I don't know um, how she found herself in that way. I want to pivot to climate before we run out of time. According to the prevailing climate pseudoscience, the ancient Egyptians and Romans must have emitted more carbon dioxide than um, our modern industrial world. I want to to take a listen to this clip here real quick. Oh, this is um, King Charles, actually. Uh, talking about the climate and the, and the military force. As we tackle this crisis, our efforts cannot be a series of independent initiatives running in parallel. The scale and scope of the threat we face call for a global systems-level solution based on radically transforming our current fossil fuel-based economy to one that is genuinely renewable and sustainable. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. Military campaign to force compliance. Listen. Marshal the strength of the global private sector. Cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. So we need a military campaign to marshal the strength of the private sector to do what they need to do. We'll either you're either with us or you're against us. We will kill you with our military if you don't comply because we don't have enough money. Well, I mean, it's unbelievable what he is saying here. With trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. So, how do we do it? First, how do we get the private sector all pulling in the same direction? After nearly two years now of consultation, CEOs have told me that we need to bring together global industries to map out in very practical terms. Well, then they're doing it. This is, Now, this was a year and a year ago. They're doing that through Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. And they're using corporate money to put pe- ruin people's lives, put people out of business. They're starting pandemics. These are all bioweapons and chemical weapons. And, you know, what's what's happening is 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 a war against the people. And the people don't even know that they're being attacked meanwhile we have this uh this uh situation where this um let's see no i'm going to try to get to this real quick this is interesting this this piece here is very interesting i'm going to try to play it on our earth 
others. And it is this. When there is more so carbon dioxide, the temperature gets warmer. Al Gore says the relationship between temperature and CO2 is complicated. But he doesn't say what those complications are. In fact, there was something very important in the ice core data that he failed to mention. Professor Ian Clark is a leading Arctic paleoclimatologist who looks back into the Earth's temperature record tens of millions of years. When we look at uh, climate on long scales, we're looking for geological material that actually records climate. Now, now listen to this, folks. This is super important. Listen to this. If we're to take an ice sample, for example, we use isotopes to reconstruct temperature, but the atmosphere that's imprisoned in that ice, we liberate, and then we look at the CO2 content. Professor Clark and others have indeed discovered, as Al Gore says, a link between carbon dioxide and temperature. But what Al Gore doesn't say is that the link is the wrong way round. So here we're looking at the ice core record from Vostok, and in the red we see temperature going up from early time to later time at a very key interval when we came out of a glaciation. And we see the temperature going up, and then we see the CO2 coming up. CO2 lags behind that increase. It's got an 800-year lag. So temperature is leading CO2 by 800 years. There have now been several major ice core surveys. Every one of them shows the same thing. The temperature rises or falls, and then, after a few hundred years, carbon dioxide follows. So obviously, carbon dioxide is not the cause of that warming. In fact, we can say that the warming produced the increase in carbon dioxide. CO2 clearly cannot be causing temperature changes. It's a product of temperature. It's following temperature changes. And bingo, that flips that whole argument upside down on its head. Uh, to me, that is a big deal. And, uh, and we're spending $200 trillion dollars and basically what we said in the beginning, $200 trillion is needed to stop global warming. Translation, we're going to tax the heck out of you and blame it on climate. That's what they want to do. And they want to control the world and get rich in the process. You know, um, we have those clips of Fauci predicting the pandemic with certainty. And then it happened. And now they're doing the climate. These fools think we're stupid, and we're not. Well, listen, uh, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can, because it helps us advance America First policies to make America great again, and we all know what those are. Also, use Red State. When you go over to MyPillow.com, use Red State as your promo code. We get a little commission off of that. So it's helpful to us uh, to help us sustain this great research that we're doing and provide the information to you. So with that, uh, we'll see you next time on the radio. Goodbye, everybody. We're a stand. The mound's getting steeper. I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.